you, Father. You guys, let's just stay engaged in the spirit. Man, there was just such peace and love on that worship this morning. Um, there was a whirlwind of peace and a whirlwind of love that um, was just ministering to my heart. Let's just stay right in that for a moment. Jesus, thank you. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, have your oil be on these words today, Lord, that you would use them to lead us, to guide us, to stir us up. Encourage us, Lord. I pray for eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Jesus, thank you. Lord, I pray for all worry. I don't know if this is for uh, someone specific, but let's press into this, Lord. All worry, fear, anxiety, Lord, anxiousness, we just command that to be broken off of you right now. Oppression, depression has to go in Jesus' name. And I pray for the brightness of his rising to be upon you this morning. Arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We know that darkness will rise upon the nations and deep darkness the peoples. But nations will come to the brightness of your rising. Kings will come. Gentiles will come by the brightness of your rising. Jesus, thank you. You know, I just had like a... Uh, um, when I first was saved, the Lord gave me this illustration. And this isn't part of the message, but I just want to, this is, I feel it's important. He gave me an illustration that right now, if I would take a flashlight, okay, and I would turn it on and I would, you know, maybe hold it down here by my side and let it shine up on the ceiling, it probably wouldn't have much effect with the sun shining in, the lights being on. I mean, that flashlight was meant to shine. It's doing its job. However, in the environment that we're in right now, in this moment, this morning, it probably wouldn't have much influence on the ceiling. It's still doing, it's still shining just as brightly as it was made to do. But what was around it was hindering it to a degree from really stepping into the fullness of what it should be used for. But if we would draw the shades and we would turn off the lights and it was in the middle of the night, and you were in this room in complete darkness, let me tell you something, that flashlight is going to illuminate much more than what it would in the midst of the light. And what I'm saying is that all of us have been created for such a time as this right now. We are the light, and that light is the life of men. It's Christ in us. When the light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot comprehend it. It's not able to overcome it. I mean, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. What a time to be called to exactly where it is you're at in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. Despite what they think or, or believe, we are called to shine as a light in this world. And it's easy to shine bright amongst brethren. You know, it's easy for us to share and witness and encourage one another and iron sharpen iron right here on a Sunday morning. Catch me on a Monday morning on the way to work, perhaps, or, you know... In amongst my co-workers that might not have that same relationship with the Lord. Well, that's the time that I'm supposed to shine. And I just want to encourage you, 
as Phyllis even made reference this morning, yeah, it's dark and it's getting darker, but we have a promise as well that even though the tares are growing, let me tell you, so is the wheat. And the Lord says, let us not tear out the, wheat, the tares it, and, you know, lest we damage the wheat in the process, but they're both going to grow up together. And that there's an end time harvest that both of them will be taken in together and the Lord is going to sift through and he's going to throw the tares into a fire and it's going to burn up and there's nothing left. But he's going to take the wheat and he's going to store it up in barns. This is, this is the treasure that we're going after. This is the reward that we get to be a part of in this hour, in the end time harvest, that we get to be a light shining in the darkness. So I wanna encourage you to just think about that illustration. It's easy to be a light in the midst of the light. The challenge really comes that when we're in the midst of darkness or disagreements, to still choose to show love and choose to still show honor because that's what the Lord has called us to do. Phyllis's, uh, um, you know, vision last Sunday about the Lord touching and placing his hand on certain individuals. We were talking about that. And, and last week I shared out of, just quickly, out of Nehemiah chapter four. And I hadn't even really began this in-depth reading through the book of Nehemiah. But what she said was so profound because come to find out that what was on my heart to share out of Nehemiah was actually part of what she saw. And she saw the hand of the Lord. She saw the hand of God touching. And in our conversation, I kept on telling her, Phyllis, I feel like that was just like, I kept on using the phrase, the heavy hand of God. I was like, man, I just feel like that's the heavy hand of God. And it wasn't quite communicating exactly what I was seeing and sensing. But Nehemiah begins to describe that he has the good hand of God is upon him. It's the strong hand of God that was upon Nehemiah that, that was the blessing that he got what he asked the king for. And I wanna encourage us today that, that I'm telling you, the good hand of God is upon us. Despite what we see, despite what we might be being told from these other outlets, I wanna tell you and bless you and release you to believe that the good hand of God is upon you, is upon this nation. The good hand of God, the strong hand of God is upon us. And yes, he's touching, he's marking. And when you feel that call, when you feel that touching, that, that, that more than usual touch, get up and run. It is our hour to get up and to run. <clears throat> this word today, um, I do have a little, I have good time. So I'm gonna read through quite a bit here, but it's, it's so relevant. I don't know if I've ever found um, a, a complete, you know, we're talking seven full chapters of what I want to read through and, and kind of get through. I don't know if I have found in scripture a time or a place where it is lined up almost line upon line and precept upon precept of what we're actually going through and experiencing today. So, so if you have to, you know, I encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah, take your time. It's a very easy read, uh, read through it. But this word, you know, I think it's Psalm 119, 105 that says, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and I was thinking about this this morning, but this is a word from, from heaven. This is a timely word from God. And this will be a, a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. We are going to get insight. See, last week I, I could hear in our hearts, I could hear in our minds this cry from some of us that we see the injustice that's going on and, and there's this cry rising up within us that, Lord, what can I do? Something must be done. 
what can I do? And we're, we're in this place of struggling, trying to find out what it is that we can do where we're at to make an impact and to make a difference. And I believe that this word today is going to give us insight into that. Quickly, a rundown. Listen, this is amazing even in itself that the name Nehemiah actually is Yahweh is comfort. And, and Rick had that word, you know, even a year ago or so about comfort my people. And now he's putting out this text message, a prescription for comfort. The Lord is speaking to us about the comfort of God. This is an hour for us to really be comforted, to be encouraged, to be able to rise up and to be sent forth. Just a, just a quick overlay of what Nehemiah is really about. Nehemiah is about the rebuilding what has been torn down restoring what sin has destroyed, repenting for our part in it, and then returning to God, which is very closely to what is written about in Ezra. So read them together, it's profound. And like Ezra, it is mostly about God's promises being kept, pushing God's narrative forward while we wait for the fullness of them. And so even taking in context of what all of Nehemiah is really about, that, that excerpt of Nehemiah chapter four that I gave last week of they, they had a, you know, their sword in one hand and their, and their stones and their, their, um, the bricks in the other. While they were still waiting, we have, we have bags full of prophetic words and promises that we're still believing God for, that we're holding on for. But while we're doing that right now is a call to not ju just to battle, but to uh, build. A few months ago, I had said that God was revealing, removing, reforming, and restoring. And that's exactly what he just continues to do. The book starts where Ezra started. Nehemiah is in, is in exile. He's finding out the terrible condition of Jerusalem, especially the gates and the walls that are being torn down and destroyed. We can see this just taking place all around us right now. We are being awakened to the darkness and the corruption that's been around us. While Nehemiah heard this, instead of complaining, worrying, and the like, he prayed and God answered. So if you could, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 if you're not already there. I'm just going to go ahead and read through this and um, you can follow along. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chesley, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is the palace, that Hanai, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the uh, captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So I want to just stop for a moment. Imagine yourself being Nehemiah in this place. You're in a palace. It doesn't seem, although you're in exile, it doesn't seem like, uh, let's just even call it like the, you know, economic collapse hasn't really touched you. The, the cares of the people in the city really hasn't touched you until one day. And, and maybe you actually haven't even experienced much of it because of the life that you've been living in the palace. And one day, a friend, a brother, comes with other men from Judah, and you can see them being distraught. You can see that there's something about their countenance that just doesn't seem right. And, and he asks them concerning the Jews, the, those who had escaped and survived the captivity, in other words, the remnant. You can see that this is a remnant group of people here. This isn't all of Israel. This is Judah. So this is a remnant group of people that Nehemiah is dealing with. Verse 3 says this, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. 
not a good report. You know, any one of us on any given day could ask each other, hey man, how you doing? And while, listen, man, those, you know, they're in, they're, they're in despair. And not only are they in despair, but their walls are broken down, their gates are on fire, we aren't doing good. So it was then when I heard these words, this is Nehemiah speaking again, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And this should give us an idea of our proper response to the condition of our nation in this hour. Nehemiah doesn't start complaining. He doesn't start worrying. He doesn't, you know, even start looking at other people and blaming them for the situation that we're in. He simply gets before the Lord and he begins to pray and fast and weep. And this is what his prayer says in verse five. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you are cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. I believe that this is actually, this is why I'm not saying that America is forsaken. This is why I'm saying that America isn't condemned because it's, you know, he cries out and he says, oh, great, awesome God who keeps your covenant and mercy with those who love you. I'm saying that even if it was only for the small remnant bride of Christ in America, I believe that that's enough to move the heart of God to not bring and, and to turn his face on America and cast us out. I believe that he is a covenant keeping God. I believe that he is a God full of tender mercies and loving compassions. And I believe that we are turning our hearts to the Father. Listen, we've gone through a season of repenting. We have repented for the sins of our nation. We have repented for the sins of, of my family members and, and the life that I lived before. And now we get to cry out for the covenant mercy because of the strong hand of God. And I want to tell you something. There's somebody in here that needs to know that his, man, I feel the Lord on this, that his ear has not been shut off from you and he has not closed his eyes on you. I wanna encourage you that God hears you and he sees you right where you're at. And even though it might feel like you have failed, you have come up short, you realize every Sunday I stand up here terrified. Anytime I preach, the things that run through my, I am disqualified, I am not, I haven't studied enough. All of these things well up within me and I choose to believe and trust him that when I do stand out and, and be obedient, that he's going to break through. And, and God, I believe somebody needs to hear that his ear has not been closed to you. He hears you. He sees you. He's not angry with you. He's not dis disappointed with you. He loves you. And I, and I pray for this person that the strong hand of God, the good hand of God is upon you. Verse 7 
he continues praying. He says, oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and the prayer of um, of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I pray and uh, I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now he's referring to king, the king that he's serving for I was the king's cupbearer. So he's asking, he's just praying to the Lord. Listen, Nehemiah gets a burden. He gets a burden in his heart for his people, for the condition of their, of their state, for the condition of their wall and their gates. And he prays. He says, let, even let your servant prosper this day. Now listen, the day that he prays to God is a different day than when the prosperity actually manifests in his life. But he prays in faith and believes that the day that he asked for the prosperity to come, it was already his. He hadn't yet received it yet, but he says, let your servant prosper this day. And so I bless you and I say, I believe for the prosperity of God, not just money, but just anything in your soul, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, that you will prosper in your body, in your healing, in your deliverance this day. In Jesus' name. Making our request known and according to heaven. Nehemiah does not pray. You, you see, he doesn't come to God with the list of things that are going wrong. He comes with the, a request from heaven's perspective. He says, oh, great and awesome God. Remember, he just instantly begins to bless the Lord. He, 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 it's not that God needed to be reminded of who God was, but Nehemiah is exalting and, and allowing himself to, to remember who God really is. Chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? See, Nehemiah, and this is what I want to say too, some of these things and these issues that we're going through may not have touched us personally, but because it is touching those who are Christians, those who are Americans, we are able to feel that very thing. And that's the, just the, the evidence of a soft heart towards God. If, you know, if we are seeing these injustices and they aren't moving us and touching us to some degree, we've got to ask the Lord, reveal to us the condition of our hearts. Why shouldn't he be sad, he says. Uh, verse four, then the king said to me, uh, what do you request? So I prayed to God, of, to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And if you remember, I've been saying that there's a lot of prophetic voices who are saying this is the hour of famine and persecution. And I believe it's the hour of favor and prosperity. And this is the request that Nehemiah actually makes. He says, if I have found favor in your sight. Verse six, then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter also to Asphur, 
the keeper of the king's forest, that he may uh, give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And this is what I'm saying, that it's the good hand of God upon us in this hour, that the wealth of the wicked is going to be released to the righteous. Verse nine, when I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters, now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat, verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Now I wanna stop here for just one moment because I wanna to touch on two things. We came out of a season, and I'm gonna just be careful of how I say this, and I'm sure everybody will know exactly what I'm referring to. But we came out of a season where there was an appointed man that represented Cyrus. I believe we're moving into a season that that same man is now taking on a Nehemiah anointing. And this Sanballat, the one that rose up against him, listen to what this, this name actually means. Now, I'm gonna say something super charismatic. This is Kevin's opinion. This is very charismatic thing I'm gonna say, okay? But search this out and see what you guys think, because we, we talk about, you know, the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of witchcraft, okay? This Sanballat, uh, his name is a Babylonian name, which means sin gives life, okay? That's what his name actually means, that sin gives life. And I believe that the spirit of the, the world in this hour is the spirit of Sambalot. However this plays out, this is my opinion, this is my opinion, but he, his name means sin gives life. And what's twisted about it, it actually has a Yahwistic um, root to it. So this man is basically saying that um, even though his name means uh, sin gives life, he still um, has some type of, I don't want to say faith, it's a false faith, it's a false belief. He probably understands the, the, um, the Torah. He probably understands the ways of God to a, to a degree. He's very religious, let me say it this way. But yet his name means sin gives life. And we're gonna see how powerful this guy really is in the things that he has been doing is almost exactly lining up exactly with what has been coming up against us. Of course, he was mad. Now listen to this. He was deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of children of Israel. One man. He was deeply dis, you know, discouraged that one man would come searching and seeking the well-being of a nation. Verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, and I, I and a few men with me, I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode on. And I went out by night through the valley gates to the serpent wall uh, and the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. I mean, just these things are amazing, the names of these things. Uh, went on to the king's pool, 
but there was no room for the animals under me to pass. So I went up uh, in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And why this is so important, listen, it is better to have one word from God in your heart than it would be to have a thousand words on the lips of ungodly men. He has one word in his heart from God. He didn't tell anybody. He didn't even tell the guys that he went with him to, to you know, in a sense, spy out the land, to get eyes on the wall. He took them with him. It says that there was no room for the animals in which he rode on to even pass through. Listen, it was a, it was a tight place. It was a narrow way that Nehemiah was on in order that he would go in and check out the walls of the city. It's a narrow way. It's a tight way right now. Verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others uh, who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. Listen, sometimes it takes us leading those who we are doing life with. Sometimes it takes us leading them to the broken places to the broken and run down things, the things that are burning and on fire. Sometimes we need to even rise up and bring those along with us just to see the destruction for what it really is. You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that had been spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. It wasn't Nehemiah that first said, let us rise up and build. After he said, listen, this is the good hand of God upon my life. I have this blessing from the king. There was that indignation that rose up in them and they said, let us rise up and build. Verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Amorite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed. They laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Listen, they weren't in rebellion, they were in obedience. The, the mocking voices of our time right now, they're going to be looking at us because I believe this is for right now and for things to come. And I believe that we need to settle this word in our hearts right now because, again, the darkness is going to continue to rise and the glory is going to continue to be poured out and the darkness is going to continue to rise. And they said this, they laughed, they despised us and said, what are you doing? Are you going to rebel against the king? Listen, they, didn't, they weren't in rebellion. They were already blessed to go. Listen, the Lord has already told us to go into all the earth and make disciples. He's already told us to go lay hands on the sick and to cast out devils and to raise the dead. He's already told us to go and preach the gospel. I don't need now a public official to give me that same blessing. I've already got it from the capital K king. I don't need it from the lower K king. But those who are against us are going to start this, and they already have. What, you guys mean to tell me that you're, you're going to go ahead and gather and have church? And, and what, you're just in rebellion. No, man, that's not rebellion. We're actually in obedience. Don't allow the enemy to lie and twist the truth of the word of God. So I answered them and said to them, this is what he says, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will rise and build, but you have no heritage 
or rite or memorial in Jerusalem. And I say, Lord, let it be as in this nation the same thing, that the wicked will have no inheritance, that the wicked will have no land. They will not prosper, but, but God himself is going to prosper us. We must be faithful to use the favor to build and not for personal gain. This isn't for, um, for personal gain. This is for preparation. This is for building the funds that we're going to begin to acquire. Chapter three, I'm going to just browse through it quickly. I'm not going to read everything in it, but chapter three basically is there's over 40 groups. So Nehemiah now has set it in his heart. He is told, uh, he, he's already set forth. He's told those who are, that he's been with, we're going to rebuild this wall. We're going to make the repairs. And chapter three, read it, it's amazing. It gives a list of everybody who decided to join Nehemiah in this real rebuilding process. And it actually starts with the high priest rose up with his brothers, the other priests, and they built the sheep gate. <laughs> I think that's phenomenal and, and profoundly prophetic in this hour that the priests, you know, it's like the, the spiritual leaders of the time decide that they're going to join into this mission and they restore the sheep gate. They consecrated. It was the only gate, by the way, that was consecrated in this chapter was the sheep gate. You see next to them rose up men from um, Jericho and they built, and you, you just see this progression all the way around the city. Some, some uh, men, it says here that they're the one leader, half the district of Jerusalem, he and his daughters made repairs. What I'm trying to say, there was, there was family members and groups of people who, who got up and they built right in front of their house. That's all they could do. They couldn't go a great distance. They didn't have everything they needed, but they rose up and they did what they could right where they could do it. They didn't wait for the Lord to bring other people into their life to start building. Some of them even took his daughters and they started to build. Wherever you are with whatever you have, let me tell you, you already have everything you need to get started. You, everything, the change that needs to take place in you is already in you. What we need to build, the, uh, you know, the, the longing, the hunger, is, is it grows the more that we go. The more we go, the more the hunger grows. The more that we let go of even self, the more hunger and things begin to rise up for the Lord. And we, he just needs us to just start. And the awesome thing about this is, listen, warriors, we came out of a season that we knew we were called to war. We knew we were called to war. And listen, we are still called to war, but warriors both battle and build. They both battle and build. That's the time that we're living in right now, battling and building. So I declare that it would be as for this nation that they will not have an inheritance, nor a right, nor memorial. Chapter four, let's go ahead and just jump over to chapter four. But so it happened when Sanballat heard, and just every time you hear his name and you see this, think about this, what his life means, or his name means. <clears throat> when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they receive the stone from the heap of rubbish that is burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, again, mockingly, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, it'll be broke down. It'll break down their stone wall. And when I read that, 
yes, I know that he is being extremely um, indignant and, and um, mockery is on his tongue. But when I read that, I realized that he's making fun of the strength of what they're building, but he also says something pretty profound that he says a fox. And I wanna say this to you today because we all have, and I'll bring this down to a personal application. Bring this down to your own personal gates need rebuilt, right? The things that you look at, the things you hear, the things you say. We have gates in our, in our self. We have walls in ourselves. We are a fortified city. And he says that even if a little fox would jump on this, it's gonna tear these walls down. Well, if you remember in Song of Solomon chapter two, it says that these little foxes are the, are the ones that spoil the vineyard. And the same little foxes that spoil our vineyard will be the same foxes that jump up on this wall and, and break it down. It will be our unbelief, our murmuring, our complaining, our bickering with one another, our hidden judgments towards one another, our offenses. And, and these little things I'm telling you, we cannot build effectively, efficiently together as one while allowing these little foxes to jump up on our walls. The same little foxes that try to sneak in and spoil our vineyard are the same ones they're gonna to try to jump up on this wall. Nehemiah prays, he says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Watch what he says about this. Their uh, turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Verse five, do not cover their iniquity and do not... Um, let their sin be blotted out before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. We wanna see the real justice of God break forth. Let us begin to build. Let us begin to build and even allow those that see us building rise up against us and you watch, you watch the justice of God come. So we built the wall, the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. There was a grace that came upon them. They were all in one mind. They were all in one mind to build. Now it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the wall of Jerusalem was being restored and its gaps were being beginning to be closed and they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Again, this is amazing what's taking place. Nevertheless, verse nine, nevertheless, we made our prayers to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now listen, Nehemiah, I believe in godly wisdom, didn't just take their threats. We're gonna see their threats here in a second. He didn't just take their threats and dismiss them. He actually had practical um, things in place that he, it's almost like, um, it's like a poker game. You know, he, the, you know, the enemy is putting out a large bet now, if, if we don't know that we already hold the winning hand and we're intimidated by what they say, we're not going to push back. I'm saying that it's the hour that it's okay to have things in place and to be ready and to be prepared. In case of an attack, we have already things in place to push back. <clears throat> Verse uh, 9, Nevertheless, we made a prayer to God, and because of them, we set a, a, a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers are failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, now listen, they're listening to the voice of the enemy. They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause their work to cease. So now they're starting to believe, you know, this is, this is social media right here. This is CNN right here. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. 
Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, with their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome, and, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. This is why we fight. This is why we fight. We don't need to be afraid of them, but rise up. This is why we fight. This is why I'm fighting, because the legacy of my son, because of, of, of mothers and fathers who have gone on before us, for wives and husbands, this is why we take a stand. Verse 13, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. He called her bluff. He called her bluff, man. He had, he didn't just do it, um, you know, carelessly. He, he set things in order. He set things in place. But once the enemy heard that they actually started taking action against their threats, their plot came to nothing. Their plot came to nothing. Everyone returned to their work. Verse 16, so it was from the time from that time on, that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all of those, all of the house of Judah. Basically what they're saying is the leaders supported the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall, this is the excerpt that I gave last week, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked construction and with the other they held a weapon. Do you understand? It was harder for them to build with one hand, but they still were able to discern the time that they were living in, that it wasn't yet time to let go of the sword. It was actually harder for them. It was a burden for them, even greater than just building or just fighting. But now they were prepared for battle while still building. It was harder for them, but yet they still continued to press on. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. I want to say the work is absolutely great and extensive. And we are separated far from one another on the wall. And this is what I said last week. The distance between us does not mean division. The distance between them, it was not division. Even though they had a great distance between each other, they were still in one mind to work. They were not divided. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally, um, a rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Uh, so we labored in the work and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man, let each man, this is, this is a call for every single one of us and his servants stay a night in Jerusalem that they may uh, be our guard by night in a working party by day. This is a call for everyone. Every one of us in the room has a calling. Every one of us in this room have an anointing, have a, have a purpose to see the kingdom of God advanced. Remember I said last week that prayer must be a catalyst to action. It cannot be a substitute for it. And if there's a burden on your heart and there's something that God has been stirring in you that needs to be done, listen, I guarantee to you at every church across the United States, there is probably across the world, um, you can walk into any place and see something that's lacking or see something that's not right or not there. 
And it would be easy for us to kind of like get offended because it's not there and, and jet out. But maybe the Lord is showing you that something is lacking or not in place to, to raise you up to be the thing that, that the body needs. But this, this is everyone. Let each man. Um, verse 23. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men who guarded, who followed me, took off their clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. They were diligent in their loyalty. And Phyllis, you had even brought up um, this loyalty that you had been speaking of and just the things that you guys have been through. You understand, you know, you know what it is to build. You know what it is to be loyal through all of these things. You have, I wanna bless this house and saying that you have been diligent in your loyalty, not just to each other, but to the work of God, you understand? Builders are warriors. Warriors are builders. Uh, chapter five, it's a, it's a very good read in this. I'm gonna kind of just give you a quick rundown of what it is. Uh, chapter five, uh, they begin to, there's an outcry, the people, their wives against the Jewish brother. There's a burden been put on the people now. So the religious leaders of the time have come, they've, they've taken their money, they've uh, just completely taken advantage of these people. Even in, while they're working, Nehemiah hears this and he just becomes very you know, angry, this righteous indignation. And he takes all of his funds and begins to sow, sow into and he even um, tells the religious leaders, basically, listen, you're going to stop doing this. You're going to stop taking advantage of these people and, um, or, or else the promises of God on your life are not going to come to fruition. Uh, chapter 6, I want to read through this and I'm, I'm going to end here in chapter 6. But again, we come across this Sanballat. It says this, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, uh, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, listen, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall. Now this is really important to catch this next part. Um, had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates. Okay, so... so America is not forsaken. It's just that her walls and her gates have been broke down. And the reason why godly wisdom is not established in our nation any longer is because where does wisdom stand? She stands at the gates. She stands at the gates that her voice would be heard crying out in the city streets. And I, I think that in this hour, the, maybe I, I'm just speaking for myself. My, my focus has been on the city, if you will. My, my focus has been on, on the cities of America, of um, the, um, not, not, not in saying like a physical place, but my mind hasn't been on that we need to rebuild the walls and the gates. If we really wanna see the wisdom of God reestablished, being the, the highest authority in the land, the wisdom of God being the highest authority in the land, we need to begin to rebuild the walls and the gates because that's where she stands. That's where she stands. He says he has not, um, he built the wall, although at the time he had not hung the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, now watch what he does. He tries to become really cunning here. Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do harm to him. See, when your walls are built, but your gates aren't up. See, the enemy can't just flood you any longer, but what the enemy tries to do now is through the gates, tries to get you to compromise slightly, tries to get you to begin to uh, reason instead of staying um, diligent in what God, he, they tried luring them out because the enemy couldn't get in anymore. 
So they tried to get him to come out, you understand? That's why the walls and the gates are so important. The enemy cannot come in when the gates or the walls are up, but he could try to draw us out through the gates. So I sent messengers. This is the wisdom of God on Nehemiah. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent his servants to me uh, as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Now listen to what he does here. It is written, this is the letter that Sanballat writes to Nehemiah. It is reported among the nations and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king is trying to intimidate. So come therefore and let us consult together. Fake news, fake news, it's not real. It didn't happen. That's not the way it happened at all. Watch, watch the amazing wisdom on Nehemiah and his response in verse eight. Then I sent to them saying, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. You invent them in your own heart. That's what's taking place. Verse nine, for they were all trying to make us afraid saying their hands will be weakened uh, in the work and all this other stuff and it will not be done. This is Nehemiah's response. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward, I came to the house of Shema, the son of Deliah, uh, the son of Metabal, who was a secret informer and he said, let us meet together. So now they sent a secret informer to Nehemiah. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Nehemiah says, and I said, should such a man as I flee? You understand the resolve that he has. Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. Verse 14, my God remembered Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works in the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have had made me afraid. You see the false prophets of this hour and the things that they're saying, they're trying to get us into fear. They're trying to get us into fear. Verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that the work was done by God. And I know right now it might seem like there is nothing that we could do about our broken down walls and our gates that are seemingly on fire, but I tell you, the Lord is causing us and calling us to rise up, to rebuild the walls and the gates, and I wanna encourage you, let it start in your own life. 
let it start in your own life. And I realize now that because I, of the revelation in this, there's going, not that it was sin, but there's now not going to be certain things that I'm going to be able to give myself over to. You understand, Nehemiah, no doubt, enjoyed the pleasures of the palace, but his heart was elsewhere. I'm telling you what, God is going to be, you are going to find yourself, and it might be in your work, you might have been satisfied for years in doing what it was that you've been doing. God is going to be giving you a change of heart. Not saying that you're going to be leaving your job, but you're going to find a grace come upon you that those things no longer satisfy you, and your heart is going to belong elsewhere. You're going to have desire to now begin to build and to fill and disciple and pour out everything that has been poured into you. No doubt Nehemiah enjoyed these things, but he saw and felt and knew that his heart was elsewhere and he had to go. He had to go. We could stay where we are in our comfortable places, but we will not be living and we will not be alive. I encourage you to allow the Lord to draw you out. Let the Lord draw you out. Let him be a person that can be burdened by God. The first section of this book, and I just wanna run through this really quickly, and I do wanna pray. The first section of this book uh, deals with the walls. Protection of those outside the city was necessary for Judah and Benjamin to remain a people. You understand, for us to remain a people, free, one nation under God, indivisible, undivided, with liberty and justice for all, the walls have got to be built. In the wall building period, they uh, committed believers under the, the dynamic leadership. They overcame laziness, mockery, conspiracy, and the threats of physical attack. In the second section of, book, of the book, this would be from chapters 8 through 10, it addresses the people on the inside of the walls. The covenant was renewed. When the walls are built and the gates are in place, covenant is renewed. And the enemies inside the wall were exposed and dealt with very firmly. To lead his people, God chose a man whose heart was right and who had a clear perspective on the issues, placed him in the right place at the right time, equipped him with, the, uh, with his spirit and sent him forth to do exploits. Could somebody please, if you could, um, see if they're done in the back. Can it, thank you, thank you, Teresa. And bring the kids in too, if you could. In the last section, chapters 11 through 13, the people were restored to the obedience of God's word as Nehemiah and the Lamans worked with Ezra, the priest. Listen, Nehemiah wasn't a prophet nor a priest. He was, he was an average guy. He was a normal guy, wasn't in full-time ministry. He was a cupbearer to the king. He was faithful. He was a faithful man in what he was doing. Yeah. Here, Nehemiah used the influence, influence of his office to support Ezra and to lead spiritually. Here is a man who wisely thinks things through in advance of his action. After serious thought and a man filled with boldness, he contended with the nobles. That's, I believe that um, this is almost a line upon line, precept upon precept, word from the Lord. We can see this spirit, this mockery, I mean, almost to the T. I wanna encourage you, you are not in rebellion, you're in obedience. We're gonna do a, a little fire tunnel type thing here. And Rick and Phyllis, I wanna have you guys pray. Um, and I, I was seeking the Lord on how to pray, but I, I believe, and you be led, you be led, but I believe that, that we are going to lay hands on and ask the Lord to strengthen our hands for work. 
You guys pray, and as Nehemiah cried out, Lord, strengthen our hands for work. There's much work that needs to be done, and we have a great distance to go. But we know that the good hand of God is upon us. We know that the strong hand of God is upon us. And I believe that we are warriors in this house. And I believe that God is raising up warriors all over the nation who are not just ready for battle, but ready for building. Jesus. Can you turn that up just a little bit, man? Or if, I don't know if you, do you have anything else ready as far as like music would be or anything? Okay, if you could just turn that up a little bit. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Lord, we believe that you're waking us up, Lord. I, I believe, Lord, that you are burdening us to pray and to be the answer, Lord. Father, I pray that you would give us divine wisdom and how to build up the walls, Lord, that you would allow us to see and understand the gates. Listen, there were 10 gates that were restored around Jerusalem, and 10 is also a number that represents uh, perfect, it, it re represents um, completeness, but especially completeness of law, responsibility, and order. 10 gates were restored around Jerusalem. Lord, restore order, law, responsibility. Lord, do it in Jesus' name. Give us wisdom on how to build, what to build, where to build. And Lord, I just even pray that as a body right now, Lord, that we would just take a moment, we would repent, uh, Lord, of, of being lazy, of, of being asleep, of, of uh, not, not taking on the, the burdens that we see as, as our own, Lord. Forgive us for not being in a place that you can burden our hearts. Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would mark us today with the good hand of God, the strong hand of God that would be upon us, Lord. One of the things about Nehemiah was he was a cupbearer. And what you have to understand was the cupbearer was the one that drank before the king so that if it was poisoned, they would die before the king. You gotta realize that our life has to be in a place where we're willing to lay it down. Amen, amen. Um, I guess maybe you guys could just start here and come through. We'll have the kids come through as well. Or you want to start?